You know, probably uh, the, the, the belief, the doctrine, the subject that interests people is more misunderstood uh, and is more debated than any other thing is the second coming of Christ and the end of times. I mean, books and books and books and books and books have been written on the subject, and great scholars and great minds and small scholars and dumb minds uh, are all over the map on the subject. And tonight, we're going to look in in Mark chapter 13, if you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 13. We're also going to be in Matthew 24 a little bit in 2 Peter 3, but Mark 13 is our main passage. And we're going to, we're ending our series tonight on beliefs matter, looking at the second coming of Jesus Christ. And uh, really a good subject to end on because the second coming of Christ is the end of it all. It is the, uh, it is the grand poobah, the final saying. Mark chapter 13 is a very interesting chapter. And uh, it, it's a difficult chapter because in this chapter, Jesus is talking about three or four different things at times simultaneously. It's kind of like the getting unsweet tea and putting sweet and low in and stirring it up. There's no way to separate it at that point unless you're God, uh, I guess, or maybe some great chemist. But uh, the, a lot of these subjects that I'm fixing to mention are intermingled. Jesus is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple, which were going to happen in about 35 years. Uh, A.D. 70 when they were going to happen. And he's also in this passage talking about the second coming uh, and the end of the world. And the, our focus tonight are going to be the part of the scriptures where he's talking about the second coming and the end of the world. And let's begin with this, the crucial thing uh, with belief matters. Jesus is literally coming to earth again. Jesus is coming to earth again. In verse 26 of Mark 13, it says, And then they will see the Son of Man, Jesus, coming in the clouds with great power and great glory. Jesus came the first time as a baby. Remember, we celebrated that six months ago uh, at Christmas. That was the first coming of Christ. Uh, he came as a baby, and the Bible says the second coming, that's why it's called the second coming, is that Jesus is going to come back as the reigning Lord and King and ruler over it all, the, the second coming of Christ. Are you with me? I guess we can pray and go home because I've really hit the main subject there, but we'll, we'll talk a few more. Don't shake your head like you want me to. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. Now, here is, um, here's some, some thoughts that flow from this. And the first thing I want to do is kind of, I don't want to say get it out of the way, but touch on some things. There are a lot of details we don't know about. When we talk about the second coming of Christ, or this, this, there it is on the screen, so there's a lot of details that we just don't know about. And, and these are the things primarily that people debate and argue. If you're taking notes, I'll try to talk slow where you can write some of this down. If you're not, you... you if you go, well, this is too deep and over my head, we'll only be here for just a minute, so hang with me. But let me share with you some major theological views real quick about th- that people have pretty different opinions on. The first is called pre-tribulation, pre-millennial. How many of you have heard of that before? Pre-trib, pre-millennial is based on the thought of this, that there will be a secret rapture of Christians before the tribulation, and, and the people who believe that believe in a literal seven-year tribulation. Christians will be raptured out. There will be a tribulation, 
And then Jesus will come to earth and there'll be a thousand year millennial, millennial means thousand, peaceful reign, and then will come the end. Tim LaHaye made this belief popular with his novels over the last 10 or 15 years. Another biblical view, and, and I think you can pull Scripture to, to prove any of these, that's what makes it difficult, is called mid-tribulation premillennial. Now, what would mid-tribulation be, you scholars out here? It would be in the middle of the tribulation. The Christians would go through a three-and-a-half-year period of tribulation. They would be raptured secretly out. Then there will be another three and a half years, and then Christ will reign on earth for a thousand years, and then will come the end. The third view is called post-tribulation premillennial. Hence, the Christians are in all of the tribulation, and that at the end of the tribulation, Christ will come, and there will be a thousand-year reign, and then will be the end. That's also called historic premillennialism. Now, those are major views. There's another view called postmillennialism. How many of you have heard of postmillennialism? I know my preachers have in here. Postmillennialism. Now, I'm going to tell you this, and you're going you're gonna to scoff at it, but this was real popular among conservative Christians back at the end of the 19th century and the beginning of the 20th century. Postmillennialism says the world is going to get better and better and better, and then it's kind of like then Jesus is just going to show up one day like the ice cream salesman, and then everything is going to be heaven on earth. Now, that sounds silly doesn't it? Kind of does to me, but that was very popular. You know what derailed that belief? World War I, <laughs> the Great Depression and World War II, and then people begin to say, Shazam, I don't think that is true. All millennialism is the last few we'll talk about tonight. It's been popular among Southern Baptists for years. All millennialism believes Christians will go through the millennial just like the post-tribulation do, and that the thousand-year period in Revelation 20 is figurative, not literal, and that basically, and all millennials would say this, that we're sitting here tonight and boom, Jesus can come back and it's all said and done right then and there. I'm not going to tell you what I believe. I'm a little more all millennialist, but you know what I am more than anything else? I am what's called a, you taking notes, pan millennialist. And a pan millennialist believes it will all pan out in the end, Okay. Are you good with that? Now listen, if you're mad at me because I just told you kind of what I lean towards, you're missing the whole point of the Scripture. Whether you're a pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, ah-trib, whatever you are, that's not the main jest of it. Here's the main jest of it. The main jest of it is, is Jesus is literally coming again. That's what... Orthodox Christians have to buy into and have to believe. We may differ on the, the, the pre-trib, post-trib, and all that stuff, but there will literally be a second coming of Jesus Christ. That's, we cannot compromise on that. Verse 24, but in those days after that, tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in heaven will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power 
and glory. The word great means with brilliance and splendor and glory. We get our word doxology from that. It means with excellence and eye-catching. In other words, Jesus is going to come and it's going to be magnificent and splendid and excellent and horrible for some people and wonderful for the rest. In Matthew chapter 24, this really, it's the same story told by Matthew here. Verse 26 and 27 says, so if, if, if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness. Don't, don't go out there. Look, he's in the inner rooms. Don't believe him. For as lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Verse 30 and 31, it says, Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. Then all the tribes of earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds. Heaven and with power and with great glory. Verse 31 And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the earth to the other. The the founder of the Jehovah Witness Church was a man named Charles Russell. Charles Russell said he discovered in 1874, Norman Rogers was 14 then, that the second coming, listen to me, the second coming had already taken place. And that you had about 50 years to get your act together. Where in the world he came up with that silliness? I have no idea. Has the second coming already happened? I used to get Psychology Today magazine. I don't know if Cindy renewed it or not. I hadn't seen it in a while. She's hiding it from me. But one of the interesting things about the magazine was some of the book ads they would have. And they were peculiar. And I remember one of them, it was, uh, it was a book that was about the Christ is here. He's come again. He's in our midst. Folks, listen, the Bible says this. Jesus said, if someone tells you Jesus has already come again or he's in our midst, that's baloney. It's not going to be a secret when Jesus comes back. That that as lightning flashes from the east and the west, the billions of people on the world, we're going to know it. And the trumpet's going to blast, the trumpet of God. And Jesus is going to, listen, this is where we got to hold to. He's going to literally physically and visibly come back to earth. Beliefs matter. Believe me, this matters. And Christians, we've got to accept that and believe that. Are you, are you good with that? So don't, you get, don't get alarmed when someone says, well, he came to Dubach. He didn't just show up in Ruston. Because, <laughs> friend, when he comes, he's coming, and we're going to know it. Now, here's the third thing. This is going to make some of you mad, too. Nobody knows when he's coming. It is so funny. I'm not making this up. I will, I will teach this and say this, and I've had 50 people over the last 30 years come up to me and go, well, but, I, I, but, but, no, no, no. Nobody knows when he's coming, but everybody thinks they do. Martin Luther, how many of you know who Martin Luther was? He was a great German leader of the Protestant Revo- uh, Reformation, a great Bible scholar. He had to have read what I'm reading to you a thousand times, but he was determined, 1554, Jesus was coming for sure. The world would end. Luther's up 450 years off right now, isn't he? How many of you have read the book of prophecies written by Christopher Columbus? Patsy, do we have that in our library? (laughs) We don't. Christopher Columbus, I, I, I don't know if he was even a good sailor. I think he was looking for India, and he hit... Uh, the West Indies, 
But Christopher Columbus was a Christian man, and he said there was without a doubt that Jesus was coming back by 1656. He missed the mark there too, didn't he? Herbert W. Armstrong, any of you heard of Herbert W. Armstrong? He was leader of the Church of God uh, Church for years, and Herbert Armstrong had determined that Jesus was coming back on January the 7th, 1972. Would you agree he missed it? If you are struggling with that, he, he did. This is 2017. He missed it, didn't he? You know, and what amazes me is that these aren't dumb people who are making these predictions. Read with me verse 32 through 35. But concerning that day or the hour. But wait, I, I, no, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son. I had a wonderful New Testament professor. Clayton, did you ever have Tommy Lee for any classes? He was a wonderful teacher. Tommy Lee would read this, and he would say, My position is that of Jesus. If he didn't know, neither do I. Isn't that good? <laughs> but only the Father knows. Be on guard. Keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey. He leaves home. He puts his servants in charge each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows are in the morning. It's, it's interesting, that last verse. He runs through the four watches they divided the night in, six to nine, nine to midnight, midnight to three, three to six. And, he, and he, every one of those watches, he maybe he's going to come here, maybe he's going to come here, maybe he's going to come here. But the bottom line, he was saying nobody knows. We're going to see in Second Peter 3 in a moment, and it says the coming of the Lord will be like a thief in the night. Now, how many of you tonight, you go home and, and you're reinvigorated by this great service we've had, and you're excited, and you're drinking some chocolate milk or whatever you do to unwind, and, and you get a phone call, and uh, hello, and it's, they say, this is the burglar. <laughs> okay, how what's going on, burglar? And the burglar says, hey, at 355 tonight, I'm coming to your house. I'll probably go through the front door, just wanted to let you know. You could say, well, I and Mr. Remington will be waiting for you at the, you know, come on in, and we'll, uh, we'll get the police here. No, no thief's going to call and tell you when they're coming. And in and, and the parables Jesus talks about, about the second coming, and are always talking about this, the master's gone away and the servant needs to be ready when the master comes home, and you don't know when he's coming. Folks, don't get mad because you don't know. Nobody knows. My dad used to say this. He said, anytime someone tells you this is when Jesus is coming back, you can be certain that's not when he's coming back. So keep that in mind. Let me tell you a real quick funny story. 1988, I was in seminary. And a book came out, 88 Reasons Why Jesus Was Coming Back on September the 4th, 1988. Any of y'all remember that? I've got that book in my office. And it was written by an engineer. Engineers probably need to stick to engineering, not preaching maybe. I'm just saying, I don't know. I don't need to design a bridge, but whatever. And so he had 88 reasons why Jesus come back in 1988. And here's what one of my professors told us on Friday. I think it was like a Saturday he's supposed to come back. The professor said, if Jesus comes back this weekend, uh, my graduate assistant will be here to teach those of you who are left behind, <laughs> which I thought was funny. But 88 reasons in 88, we're about 30 years past that. That's foolishness, isn't it? That's foolishness. That's silly. So here's what we need to do. We need to be ready for the judgment. This is what God says. Be ready for this. Be ready for the second coming. Verse 27, and then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends 
of heaven. Literally, he means from the tips of the earth to the tips of heaven and everything in between. When Jesus comes back, he's coming back to judge and to establish a new kingdom. You're not coming back to play games. 2 Peter 3.10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And the heavens, which means space, will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies, the elements, the principles of life will be burned up. And dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Let's stay there for just a second. You notice that passage says with a roaring or a hissing. Did you, did you get that? Uh, the roar means a hissing or a cracking. In the 50s, we were testing nuclear bombs in Nevada. Aren't you glad that wasn't in Louisiana? A uh, little atomic humor there. Yes, you're glad that that wasn't here. And reporters said that who went out and watched that, that when the atomic bomb was going off, you, you heard the most awful hissing and cracking. And you wonder, oh, is the world going to be, are we going to destroy the world ourselves? God's going to use that by, by nuclear weapons. We, we don't know for sure, but that's, uh, to me, that's scary. Verse 12, verse 12, it says, Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of the God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, liquefied, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. Boy, that's an that's a incredible picture. Verse 13, But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So, now, let, let me sum this up because this is a mouthful. Here's what the Bible says here. Beliefs matter. Jesus is coming again. Visibly, physically, and literally. It's not going to catch you off guard. Well, it may catch you off guard, but you'll know when it's happening. And ultimately, when Jesus comes back, he is going, listen, he's going to judge you and me and everybody. There will be a final judgment. And then the, the earth and heavens, everything is going to be destroyed by fire is what the Bible said. I was watching a preacher who I used to have some respect for uh, a couple of months ago, and he, he was laughing about it. people saying the earth is going to be destroyed by fire. Man, just read the book. That's what the book says, isn't it? And that, listen, but here's the good news. If you're ready, you're going to be with God forever. In a new heaven and a new earth, it's going to be perfect. Now, if you're not ready, it's going to be absolutely horrible. But that's what, that's what involves with the second coming, the judgment of the world, the destruction of this old earth and old heaven and the creation of a new heaven and a new earth and the reign and the rule for God. So let me tell you a couple of things real quick. Number one, if you're not saved, you need to get saved. You need to be ready for this. If you are a Christian, let me give you two thoughts. Number one, live faithfully. Man, live faithfully. Jesus is coming. Let's look at verse 33 and 37 again. Be on guard. Keep awake, for you don't know when the time will come. It could be tonight. It is like a man going on a journey. When he leaves home, he puts his servant in charge. Each with his work. Be about what God has left you here to do. And commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. The doorkeeper's the one watching and protecting. Needs to be alert. We're the doorkeepers. 
Therefore, stay awake. You don't know when the master of the house will come. In the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he comes suddenly and find you asleep. What I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. God says, listen, you, you and I may die tonight. Be ready for that. The second coming could happen tonight or in a week. Be ready for it. How, to be, how are we ready? We know Christ personally. And we live faithfully for him. Second Peter uh, chapter 3, verse 11, I think, gives us some beautiful words here. Second Peter, it says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, the world, what sort of people ought you to be in the li- live lives of holiness? That means separation and purity and dedicated to God. Godliness, that means be morally good. That's, a, that's true religion and true righteousness. Verse 14, it says, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these things, be diligent. Listen, make every effort. Push yourself to be found by him, listen, without spot or blemish and at peace. And boy, let me tell you what that means, without spot or blemish. It means when Jesus comes back and you stand before God, you be unblameable. Isn't that good? Now, people may blame you. People may criticize you. They're going to. But Jesus, listen, here's what we do. Man, we live faithfully for God. We live at peace with people. We live holy. We live separate. We, we try to live like Jesus for Jesus. And we live lives that, that, are, that are on purpose for him. We live with the idea that we are going to give an account for how we live as a Christian. You and I will be judged. And that we want to make an A on that report card. And the great thing is all of us can. We sure can. Joseph Boyle, I don't know who he was, but it's a great quote. He said, listen, when you're a Christian, you plan your life like you're going on a trip for a thousand years, but you be ready to abandon ship tonight. You plan, you pray, you plot, you study, you strategize, but you live a holy, pure, and godly life, and you be ready to stand before God tonight because you might, as I. Let me give you one last thought on this. Bring as many as you can to Jesus. In the meantime, verse 34 is a little subtle. It is like a man going on a journey. When he leaves home, he puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. You ever thought about this? You have. You're God's hands and feet. God left us to do the work here on earth until he comes again. And a big part of that is winning people to Christ. 2 Peter 3, the whole chapter there is talking about the end of times in verse 9. This great verse that may be one of my favorite. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. That's talking about the second coming. He's coming again. Some count it as slowness, but he is patient towards you, not wishing that anyone should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Now, have you ever thought about this? The second coming of Christ has been delayed so more people can be saved. Well, I thought it had to be because 18 things had to happen according to this book. The second coming has been delayed for people to be saved. Verse 15, follow suit and count the patience of our Lord as what? 
as salvation, just as our beloved Paul, brother Paul, wrote about to you in his many writings. Man, what a tremendous thing for a Christian in the church to get a hold of. Jesus doesn't want anybody to go to hell. You know what? That's pretty good news because you happen to be anybody, don't you? And Jesus, the bad news is he's given us the task to tell them. The Bible says, how can they believe if they've never heard? We're to tell, we're to pray, we're to invite them, we're to bring them. Anybody can be saved, but they've got to hear, and they do have to respond. And the whole second coming of Christ, the setting of a new heaven and a new earth have been delayed so more people can get into the kingdom of God. Wow. What's your task here till Jesus comes back? It's not religious argument. It's winning people to Christ and living faithfully. A preacher named A.W. Bailey said it so well. He goes, a lot of Christians spend all their time looking for the signs when they ought to be looking for souls. I'm going to repeat that. I'll, I'll paraphrase. A lot of Christians argue about the end of times and looking for this and looking for that when they ought to be looking for lost people to bring to Jesus. Do beliefs matter? Absolutely. What you believe determines what you do. The Bible says this belief is true, that Jesus is coming again in splendor and glory. It's going to be a terrible day for a lot of people, a wonderful day for others. He's going to come and he's going to judge you and me and everybody that's ever walked this planet. Going to destroy the old earth and the old heaven and going to new earth and a new heaven. And then fates are going to be sealed for eternity, heaven or hell. If you believe that, you better act on that. You're not a Christian tonight. You need to give your life to Jesus. You can come when we stand in a moment and do that, or you can catch one of our ministers after church. We'd be happy and thrilled to lead you to Christ tonight. Give us that opportunity. Maybe you'd like to join our church. We would love for you to, and you can do that right now or after church. I'm going to tell you, we are a church. We may disagree on some of the details, but we as a church believe Jesus is coming again and all the ramifications of it. Christian. Do you really believe this? Ask yourself tonight, if you were standing before God, what would the grade be? Oh, well, God understands. Yeah, no, not really. God expects our obedience. Live your life. Let's live our life. Let's make a commitment tonight where we're standing or at the altar that when we stand before God, we're going to grade out well. And by the way, that we're going to take a whole string of souls with us when we get there. Let's stand.